And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've got to be kidding. You can't make the stuff up. Reveal to the faithful the wolves which are demolishing the Lord's vineyard. Words, dear listeners, of Pope Clement XIII in 1766 from his encyclical Christiane Republice. And that is what we're all about here. We reveal the wolves that are demolishing the Lord's vineyard. Welcome. Greetings in Christ to you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Welcome to this unique podcast produced by Novus Ordo Watch. So here we are, Tratcast episode number nine. A lot has happened since our last episode, which was published in mid-September, but unfortunately, we're going to have to skip over most of it because uh, at this point, we simply don't have the time or the resources to comment on it all. So we just try to focus on the most important things in our Tradcasts here. Now, before we really get into this first segment, two quick announcements we don't want to forget. First, our annual Novus Ogre Contest is about to begin, okay? It will run from December 1st through the 31st, and you will find a link to that on our Novus Ordo Wire blog come December 1st. As every year, we will present a few candidates from the modernist sect that made some special contribution to the apostasy in the past year, and uh, you get to vote on who you think was the worst one, okay? So whoever you think did the most damage, who did the most to undermine Catholicism under the guise of Catholicism. And I'm sorry, but no, Pope Francis is not going to be one of the available choices because we always exclude the currently reigning anti-pope. Um, because he's obviously the most influential theological gravedigger, so he'd win every time and there'd be no point to the contest. Okay. Anyway, look for the Novus Ogre Award Contest come December 1st on our Novus Ordo Wire blog and uh, tell your friends and family about it. Okay. And your local Novus Ordo pastor, of course. <laughs> That's always a hoot. Uh, secondly, the second announcement we don't want to miss. You've probably heard about the Year of Mercy Francis has called uh, to begin on December 8th of this year. And uh, we thought about whether there's anything Novos Ordo Watch can do to put things in perspective a bit. And so we've decided to have our own Jubilee year right here on our website, and it will run concurrently with that of Francis, meaning it will begin on Tuesday, December 8th, and end 
on Sunday, November 20th, 2016. It will not, however, be a year of mercy. Instead, we figured that what this world really needs is the exact opposite. So we're going to have a year of exclusion, judgment, and condemnation. All right. So that will start on December 8th, and uh, you will see that too on the Novus Ordo Wire. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get down to business. Okay. So where are we? Of course, the big event last month was the Synod, the so called Synod on the Family, which was essentially a tumultuous gathering of I don't know how many hundreds of Bogus Ordo bishops that ended up producing a document that used a lot of words to say, very little, okay, as usual. So everybody is now waiting for Francis to release his big post-senatal exhortation, which will probably contain his official decision on what to do with those few adulterers in a sect who still didn't manage to get a Novus Ordo annulment, but want to receive Holy Communion anyway, of course, while continuing to engage in adulterers' relations. Not that Holy Communion is valid in the new church, but that's beside the point because they all believe it is. Well, those who even believe in Holy Communion in the Real Presence and the Holy Eucharist over there. Not sure how many that is anymore. Anyway, uh, that's where we're at with that. And uh, you know, it's funny, but whenever there is controversy about some sexual issue, you know, something involving abortion or divorce and remarriage or unnatural acts or whatever, then conservatives in the Novus Ordo, they're all up in arms and threaten to walk out and start a schism and so on. But when it's about something non-sexual, like, like for example, when Cardinal Gerhard Müller or Pope Benedict XVI deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, then no one gives a hoot. You know, it's really bizarre. And in recent months, we've seen Novus Ordo adherents on the internet getting all bent out of shape over an alleged irregularity in the last conclave, um, you know, about whether they voted one time too many or not on a given day. And all of a sudden, people are suspecting Francis might not be a real pope. You know, but when you point out that the guy believes the Mosaic Covenant is still valid and suffices for today's Jews for salvation... No one thinks much of it. It's crazy. It's really crazy. So th that's just another thing that, that we've noticed that is, is, just, is just really bizarre. Whenever there's something sexual, then it's, you know, oh my gosh, petitions and we're walking out and, and you know, that kind of thing. Um, but when it's uh, some other dogma, something that is not related to sexuality, then as uh, so, oh, well, you know, who am I to judge? And you know, I can't, can't say he's not the Pope and all that. And then at the same time, you know, the, the, if there's an irregularity in the conclave, oh my goodness, he might not be the Pope, you know. But you, you point out that the man, you know, uh, doesn't believe in hell, uh, doesn't believe that Christ is necessary for salvation, doesn't believe that the, the, uh, you must uh, profess the true faith to be a member of the church. Nobody cares. It's bizarre. Anyway, oh, have you heard? Have you heard, ladies and gentlemen, there is now a new argument among Novus Ordos as to why Francis isn't preaching the gospel. Yep. Someone told us about it on Facebook. And uh, I guess at this point, it's just so obvious that Francis doesn't preach the true gospel that even Novus Ordos can no longer hide it. So now they're trying to explain why that is. 
you know, why is he not preaching the gospel? You know why he's not preaching the gospel? According to them, because everyone's already heard it. Yeah. Yeah. And they rejected it. So what's the point, you know? <laughs> wow. But you, you really can't make this stuff up. You cannot make it up if you got paid to. Uh, anyway, speaking of Francis, you know, he keeps denouncing idolatry. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. He's always out there denouncing uh, the idolatry of money or the idolatry of consumerism or the idolatry of Western freedom. And just the other day, it was, um, it was a new one. We got a new idolatry now. The idolatry of Imminence and the idolatry of habits. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very nice. But you know, you know what a d- idolatry he never denounces? The idolatry of, you know, idolatry, like paganism, like Hinduism. You know where they actually literally worship idols. Yeah, that, that never gets denounced. That never makes the Bergolian hit list of idolatries. In fact, what he does instead when he encounters pagans, in other words, adherents of some heathen religion, uh, he always encourages them in one way or another in the practice of their false religion, which, by the way, will lead them to hell, to eternal damnation. Okay? So, uh, in that case, when we're talking about real idolatry, he starts talking about their shared values or whatever, right? Right? And, I mean, we're talking here about people who worship the creature instead of the creator, okay? Textbook idolatry. Don't believe it? Well, here's an example. Here's an example. On October 28th, 2015, the so-called Catholic News Agency published a report called Prayer is the Treasure of All Religions, says Pope. Let me read it to you. Vatican City, October 28, 2015. Pope Francis marked Wednesday's anniversary of the Second Vatican Council's declaration on the relation of the Church to non-Christian religions by saying the world looks to religious believers for their ability to pray. Notice there's no reference here to true religion, false religion, you know, true faith, uh, false faith, human faith, none of that. Quote, prayer is our treasure to which we draw in accordance with our respective traditions to ask for the gifts for which humanity yearns, unquote. He said at his October 28th general audience at St. Peter's Square. The world looks to believers for answers in many areas, the Pope said, such as peace, hope, environmental crisis, violence committed in the name of religion, and crises in the family and the economy. Quote, we believers have received these problems, but we have one great resource, prayer. And we believers pray. We must pray, unquote. So that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. Okay, we believers. He's clearly putting the, the true religion and the true God on the same level with diabolical sects and so on. Uh, Let me continue the report reading from the Catholic News Agency. 
Pope Francis' remarks came on the 50th anniversary of the release, release of Nostra Aetate, and his general audience was focused on interreligious dialogue. Other speakers included Cardinal Jean-Louis Torrent, president of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue, and Cardinal Kurt Koch, president of the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. The Pope extended a special welcome to those individuals and groups present in St. Peter's Square representing other religions. He cited the Second Vatican Council as an, quote, extraordinary time of reflection, dialogue, and prayer for renewing the Catholic Church's gaze upon itself and on the world. A reading of the signs of the times in view of an update oriented by due loyalty, loyalty to the tradition of the church, loyalty to church tradition, and loyalty to the history of men and women in our times, unquote. Whatever. Pope Francis recalled the various interreligious initiatives and events that have sprung up in the years following Nostra Aetate's release. He noted in particular the interreligious encounter in Assisi in 1986, the fruit of a meeting between St. John Paul II and a group of young Muslims in Casablanca a year earlier. Quote, The flame ignited in Assisi has spread around the world and is a permanent sign of hope, unquote. He said, Pope Francis made particular mention of the transformation in the relationship between Christians and Jews, which has come about over the last 50 years. Quote, indifference and opposition have turned into collaboration and goodwill from enemies and strangers. We have become friends and brothers, unquote. Nostra Aetate led the way in saying yes to rediscovering Christianity's Jewish roots, haha, and no to every form of anti-Semitism, there's your bi-weekly condemnation of anti-Semitism, while condemning every insult, discrimination, and persecution which comes with it. The Pope noted that Nostra Aetate promoted renewed relations not only with the Jewish people, but also with persons of other religions, especially Muslims. He cited passages from the document which acknowledged the points of commonality between Christianity and Islam, reference to the paternity of Abraham, the veneration of Jesus as prophet, that's disgusting, esteem for Mary, yeah, mm -hmm, as well as such practices as almsgiving and fasting. Yeah, do you know a Muslim charity in your area, by the way? Yeah, didn't think so. The aim and condition of interreligious dialogue is mutual respect, Pope Francis said, quote, respect for the right to life of others, to physical integrity, to fundamental freedom, namely freedom of conscience, of thought, of expression, and of religion, unquote. There's some Catholic ideas for you. Uh, Pope Francis spoke of the violence and terrorism which has led to religion becoming the object of suspicion and condemnation. While there is always the risks of fundamentalism or extremism in any religion, he said, we must nonetheless, quote, look at the positive values which they live and propose and which are sources of hope, unquote. You can't make this stuff up. The Pope reflected on the various areas of collaboration possible between persons of different religions, serving the poor, the elderly, migrants, caring for creation, etc. Quote, all believers of every religion, together we can praise the Creator for having given us the garden of the world to cultivate and protect as a common good, unquote. He said, 
and also work together to, quote, combat poverty and ensure secure conditions of a dignified life for every man and woman, unquote. You know what? This is enough. I can't read any more of this. Um, this is... Uh, this is Francis for you, okay? Francis on real idolatry, okay? No condemnation of idolatry when we're talking about real, genuine idolatry, right? So um, just remember that. Remember that because that is certainly no accident. So welcome to the fruits of Vatican II. By the way, there is a hilarious parody out there on Vatican II's Nostra Aetate document. Uh, we're going to link to it at tradcast.org uh, for this episode, okay, number nine. The, the, the parody document is about 10 years old, but if you haven't seen it yet, you've, you've got to read it. You'll, you'll laugh yourself silly because it is so spot on. It's called Nostra Aetate Part Two. The church's relationship to Satan, yes, to Satan. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really well done spoof on, uh, well, Nostra Aetate, but even just Vatican II language and Vatican II theology in general. And and as you read it, as you laugh, always remember that that is the reason why it's so funny. Right? Because it is basically how Vatican II theology works. So uh, you'll have a blast with that. Anyway, speaking of idolatry and just staying on this topic for, for just another few more minutes, we are also providing on our Tradcast uh, show page a link to the Vatican's webpage for the so-called Pontifical Council for Interreligious dialogue. Uh, they publish there the messages that they send to various pagan religions on the occasions of their feasts, such as the Hindu feast Deepavali, uh, the Buddhist Vesak, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, you've really got to read this stuff sometime, okay, just to see what junk it is. So, uh, make sure you click on that. We'll also link a video of a dialogue between the Novus Ordo Bishop John Wester uh, of uh, Salt Lake City, Utah at the time, and his dialogue partner, I, I can't remember his name now, is some, some Protestant turned Buddhist uh, whose claim to fame is that he once walked, I think, 200 miles or so in increments of three steps and then a bow. Yeah, and he did that for peace. Um, I think it was back in around 1979. Yep, three steps and a bow for peace. Yeah, didn't work out too well, did it? So uh, we'll have that video linked for you. Anyway, the point is all this interreligious dialogue stuff has absolutely nothing to do with preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from whom there is no salvation. Our Lord said very clearly, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's John 14, 6. And St. Paul reminded the Thessalonians how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
That's 1 Thessalonians 1.9. And St. John the Evangelist, uh, for example, ends his first letter with these words, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's 1 John 5.21. Let this sink in for some time and then just realize how far they have drifted from the gospel. For example, what did Cardinal, so-called Cardinal Peter Turkson do recently? He participated in a Hindu ceremony which praised Krishna in a Novus Ordo church in New York City. Now, Turkson is the head of the Vatican's Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. We'll have that article linked for you in the video of the actual idolatry that uh, took place there. It's unbelievable. Fact is, there is simply no Catholicism left in the Vatican II Church. None. Okay, Everything is about uh, blah, blah, better world, mutual respect, tolerance, dignity, interreligious cooperation, all that stuff. They have completely forsaken the gospel. The only idols they still denounce are metaphorical idols like money, consumerism, and, and so forth. But when it comes to the idolatry of idolatry, nothing but silence and even acceptance and encouragement, even to the point of where they themselves worship the idols. And of course, the biggest promoter of all that was their Saint Pope, John Paul II. 1 John 4, 3 says, And every spirit that dissolveth Jesus is not of God, and this is Antichrist. We've got to take a break. Tradcast. Are you interested in truly Catholic radio programming, one that addresses not only the current crisis in the church and world, but also discusses literature, art, doctrine, spirituality, and current events? Then tune into member-supported Restoration Radio at www.restorationradionetwork.org. Restoration Radio, the network for the thinking Catholic. Looking for EWTN, this ain't it. Tradcast. Yeah, we're definitely not EWTN here, in case you didn't notice yet. This is Tratcast, a podcast produced by Novus Ordo Watch, where we're not more Catholic than the Pope, just more Catholic than the anti-Pope. All right, now this second segment is going to be really, really cool. We're going to begin a commentary on and refutation of 
Eric Gajewski's Trad Cat Night radio program that aired on October 25th, 2015, called Sedevacantism, Fatima, and Masonry, with uh, special guest John Salza. It was a two-hour program, essentially an interview of Mr. Salza by Eric Gajewski, and most of the time was spent talking about Sedevacantism. So what we're going to do here now is play for you some excerpts from that audio, uh, focusing on the highlights that we will then comment on and refute. Before we begin, uh, a quick word about the two individuals in question. We certainly don't want to make this about them personally, because ultimately what matters is the arguments they have. But since these arguments are advanced by people, and since no error could get promoted unless there were people doing the promoting, we should also spend a few minutes on the interviewer and the interviewee. All right, so Eric Gajewski is the show host. He goes by Trad Cat Knight and claims a bazillion followers on Facebook, Twitter, and, and YouTube. And uh, he likes to harp on being so influential and so super awesome. And just recently, someone found out that he purchases most of his followers and actually caught him red-handed, offering money to click farms in Asia to boost his numbers. Uh, we've got a link up in our show notes to a video that proves that. It's pretty sad. This wouldn't nearly be so bad if he didn't constantly harp on how he is the most viewed and followed traditional Catholic website on the internet. He actually uses these fake numbers to belittle others about how few followers they have and how insignificant they are. It's totally pharisaical, and it's definitely a very worldly standard that he uses. See, whether you have a lot of followers or not is no indication whatsoever of whether you are doing God's will, of whether your apostolate is pleasing to God. Theologically, Gajewski is a disaster. In our Tratcast number three, we responded to his attempt to rebut our refutation of the recognize and resist position, and you can still listen to that at tratcast.org episode 003. He believes that Francis is not the Pope, but wait for it, that Benedict XVI is even today. He also apparently believes that he is or has a good chance of being the great Catholic monarch mentioned in Catholic end times prophecy. I'm not making this up. And he claims to be the leader of the Order of the Eagles, which he says is a Catholic military order that will eventually get church approval. Here's a clip from his show, A Life of Prayer, Prepare or not care, published on August 3rd, 2015. This is at the 25-minute mark and 14 seconds. Take a listen. So I'm making this very clear right now, on behalf of our Lord. What our Lord has me to do, okay, and I'm saying this in all humility, in all charity, okay, eventually what he will have me to do is to give the commands. I don't take the commands. I don't take the orders. I'm giving them, 
And at a certain point, people will understand that authority that has been given. People might not see it now. They will see it in the future. So I want to make sure that I'm very, very clear on that. Well, yeah. Hey, thanks for making it clear, Eric. Uh, we we appreciate that. So, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, what stuns me is that John Salza would actually come on his show. Salza must not know all this about Gajewski. Now, as far as Francis goes, uh, Salza most definitely does not share Gajewski's belief that Benedict XVI is Pope today. And so he definitely accepts Francis as Pope. He just doesn't give a flip about what Francis teaches or legislates. Um, but we'll get into that later, I'm sure. So anyway, uh, who is John Salza? We'll quote from the introduction that is posted on his website, johnsalza.com. You can read the full introduction there, but uh, we can only quote a few snippets. So here we go. Quote, John Salza, J.D., is an attorney and internationally acclaimed Catholic apologist, author, and speaker. Mr. Salza is also a world-class expert on Freemasonry. Salza was a 32nd degree Mason before his reversion to the Catholic faith. Salza has been featured on the Discovery Channel to share his expertise on Freemasonry and secret societies and is the author of the best-selling book, Masonry Unmasked, An Insider Reveals the Secrets of the Lodge, and Why Catholics Cannot Be Masons. Salza is a faithful advocate of Catholic tradition and conquering modernism in the Church by restoring all things in Christ, the motto of Pope St. Pius X. Because modernism is the synthesis of all heresies, the Church is currently suffering its greatest crisis in history, and the restoration of the Church will occur only when Catholics return to the faith as it was taught and lived before the disastrous Second Vatican Council. In addition to his Many television appearances, Mr. Salza has been a regular radio personality on stations throughout America. He has been a featured guest on Catholic Answers Live, Cresta in the Afternoon, The Voice of Catholic Tradition, Sacred Heart Radio, Spirit Catholic Radio, Relevant Radio's The Drew Mariani Show, The Morning Air, and Searching the Word, where he has featured many series on biblical apologetics and also served as program host. Salza has also had a daily apologetics program on Relevant Radio called Relevant Answers and EWTN Radio called Catholic Q&A. He's a columnist for the Remnant newspaper, Catholic Family News, The Fatima Crusader, and also serves as president of apologetics for the American Catholic Lawyers Association, unquote. All right, that should suffice. All these credentials are all the more frightening when you realize that when it comes to the topics of the papacy and the authority of the Catholic magisterium, Salza doesn't have the faintest idea. And if you doubt it, there are two articles in particular we want to draw your attention to. One is our blog post, Comedy Hour with John Salza, where we refute his bizarre ideas about the Catholic magisterium. 
and especially our lengthy article, The Chair is Still Empty, in which we refute two of his articles against sedevacantism from years ago. Those two articles, The Comedy Hour with John Salza and The Chair is Still Empty, those two articles show very clearly that whatever topic Salza may be quite competent on, sedevacantism and the papacy are not among them. Tradcast. All right, enough of this. Let's get started with examining the actual subject matter. Before we listen to some of the stuff argued by Gajewski and especially Salza, I'd like to draw your attention to a very important quote by Father Edmund James O'Reilly, who lived in the 19th century. In his book, The Relations of the Church to Society, published in 1882, O'Reilly reflected on the great Western schism that was that time of great confusion in the 14th and 15th centuries when uh, two and even three men all claimed to be the Pope of the Catholic Church all at the same time. And uh, no one knew anymore who the true Pope was or how this whole mess could ever be resolved. So listen to these very instructive words of Father O'Reilly. Quote, The great schism of the West suggests to me a reflection which I take the liberty of expressing here. If this schism had not occurred, the hypothesis of such a thing happening would appear to many chimerical. They would say it could not be. God would not permit the church to come into so unhappy a situation. Heresies might spring up and spread and last painfully long through the fault and to the perdition of their authors and abettors, to the great distress, too, of the faithful, increased by actual persecution in many places where the heretics were dominant. But that the true church should remain between 30 and 40 years without a thoroughly ascertained head and representative of Christ on earth, this would not be. Yet it has been, and we have no guarantee that it will not be again, though we may fervently hope otherwise. What I would infer is that we must not be too ready to pronounce on what God may permit. We know with absolute certainty that he will fulfill his promises, not allowing anything to occur at variance with them that he will sustain his church and enable her to triumph over all enemies and difficulties, that he will give to each of the faithful those graces which are needed for each one's service of him and attainment of salvation, as he did during the great schism we have been considering, and in all the sufferings and trials which the church has passed through from the beginning. We may also trust he will do a great deal more than what he has bound himself to by his promises. We may look forward with a cheering probability to exemption for the future from some of the troubles and misfortunes that have befallen in the past. But we, or our successors in future generations of Christians, shall perhaps see stranger evils than have yet been experienced, even before the immediate approach of that great winding up of all things on earth that will precede the day of judgment. I am not setting up for a prophet, nor pretending to see unhappy wonders, of which I have no knowledge whatever. All I mean to convey 
is that contingencies regarding the church not excluded by the divine promises cannot be regarded as practically impossible just because they would be terrible and distressing in a very high degree. Unquote. So, Remember this, folks. Remember this as you investigate Sedevacantism and try to figure out the nature of this terrible situation that we've all been in since the death of Pope Pius XII in 1958, and especially since Vatican II in the 1960s. You know, there are a lot of people out there who couldn't pass a single theology course, and yet they're very quick to tell you, oh, God would never permit this. You know, as though they knew what the infinitely wise and infinitely good God would and wouldn't permit. So when you're tempted to think that God would not uh, permit for us not to have a pope for over 50 years, remember these wise words of Father O'Reilly writing in 1882. Contingencies regarding the church that are not strictly excluded by the divine promises cannot be regarded as practically impossible just because they would be terrible and distressing in a very high degree. So, in other words, there is an infinite difference between impossible and improbable. Too often people see an obstacle, and because they don't like the difficulty that comes with it, they'll say, oh, God would never allow that. Well, the truth is that God would or could allow anything except that which he has strictly promised won't happen. That is what's impossible. And that includes that the Catholic Church should defect and become the Ark of Damnation rather than of Salvation, that the Holy See would no longer be the beacon of truth, that the Roman pontificate should fail. That's what's impossible. The Roman pontificate can be vacant, but it cannot fail. And if Francis is Pope, it has failed. Okay, That's it in a nutshell. So with this in mind, let's go ahead and listen to the first audio excerpt. It comes from uh, roughly the uh, 32 minute and 32 second mark from their uh, broadcast. And uh, Salza is uh, talking about this new book that he has co-authored with Robert Sisko. It's going to be called True or False Pope. Okay. And uh, I think it's going to be like a thousand pages or something. And uh, that is coming out very soon. We're looking forward to it. We, the Sede Vacantists, are, because uh, if the past is any indication, uh, then uh, we're going to have a field day with it. But uh, this is the new book that's coming out, and Salza is giving a preview of what uh, he is going to be arguing. And in the first audio excerpt that we're going to be listening to, he talks about the endorsements and the reviews the book has received from theologians. Take a listen. Let me, let me first mention uh, that, as you said, we do have the book coming out. I've, I've authored the book with Robert Sisko, and each of us have about 10 years of research into this topic. And we have submitted our work to some very reputable theologians throughout the world. We're going to acknowledge all of these theologians in the book. 
Um, we've also received some uh, very significant endorsements. So there are no secrets about this. All right. Thank you, Mr. Salza. Everybody, are you sufficiently intimidated yet? He and his co-author have 10 years of research into this. Well, that's good to know because um, last time we checked Mr. Salza's uh, argumentation regarding sedevacantism, it really didn't show. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see what they what they come up with this time. But you know, regarding those theologians, now this is going to be very interesting because, of course, these theologians are going to be only as authoritative and reliable as Salza will claim them to be. After all, any theologian who doesn't agree with his position is simply a novus ordo modernist or has succumbed to diabolical disorientation or whatever. Right? I mean, it's not like Salza genuinely acknowledges any Novus Ordo theologian's authority because he clearly doesn't acknowledge that of Francis and anyone else is lower than Francis. So here already you can see it's a bunch of hogwash. You're being hoodwinked into thinking that there is some great theological authority behind this big book of bunk. The only theologians Salza could be appealing to are clerics that are Indult, or SSPX, or Novus Ordo, none of which are disinterested third parties to the discussion, and none of which will have any sort of independent credibility. Folks, we're talking here about a former 32nd degree Mason and a lawyer. Expect him to use the tricks of his trade. Let's listen to some more. Next, oh yeah, this is this is uh, this is going to be good. Next, Salza talks about the church's passion. Take a listen. The solution is not that we don't have a pulp, but the solution is, as we've touched upon, the church is going through a passion. She is going through a passion, just as the disciples uh, lost faith in our Lord during His passion. So, say to the Contes, have lost faith in the church. And the theologians teach that the sign that the Catholic Church is the true church is because it suffers, it's persecuted, it's infiltrated. That is a sign that it's Christ's true church. And the analogy really follows. You know, just as our Lord was completely disfigured in his humanity, right? I mean, the disciples did not recognize him anymore, and many lost faith that he was the fulfillment of God's revelation. It's the same thing that has happened with those who have lost faith in the church. They've lost faith in the church because the church, too, is suffering. It's been brutalized. It's been defigured, disfigured. It's been deformed. But it's still like Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ. All right. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you know, that's all very nice uh, about the church undergoing a passion. Uh, and in fact... We, St. Evacantus, totally agree with that. The church is undergoing a passion, but that's not a theological argument at all. You know, the church can indeed undergo a passion, but the question is, what is the nature of that passion? Because passion or not, we know that Catholic truth, Catholic teaching doesn't suddenly become relative or get suspended simply because some tax lawyer in Wisconsin decides that there is a passion going on. Even if the Pope himself, a true Pope, were to declare that the church is currently undergoing a passion, this could have no impact whatsoever on church teaching. 
For example, you couldn't say that because of that passion, now the Catholic doctrine on submission to the Pope is no longer valid, or that the magisterium can suddenly proclaim heresy, or anything of the kind. So this whole passion argument already is a red herring. Okay? It's meant to distract from the real issue, which is, is it possible that the Vatican II sect is the Catholic Church? Can its heads be true popes, passion or no passion? So then we heard Salza say that, oh, just as the disciples lost faith in Christ, so the Sedevacantists have lost faith in the Church. Baloney. Folks, this is garbage Mr. Salza is putting forth here, and it's meant to appeal to your emotions, not to reason. Because as we just said, the whole passion analogy is not a theological argument, which means you cannot invoke it to prove anything regarding the sede vacante issue. You can use it to illustrate a truth, but you cannot use it to be the substitute for a theological argument. We haven't lost faith in the church at all, Mr. Salza. It is because we believe in the church, in the true church, that we reject the false Vatican II church because by all empirical evidence, you cannot identify the Novos Ordo establishment with the Catholic church because it is essentially different from the church of Pope Pius Twelfth and all true popes before him. The Catholic Church cannot defect. The Vatican II Church clearly has defected, which is why Salza and Gajewski and all those people always talk about a new religion, right? So therefore, the Vatican II Church cannot be the Catholic Church. That's not a conclusion that comes from having lost faith in the Church, but precisely from adhering to that faith which tells us that the Novus Ordo sect cannot be the true church, no matter how undesirable or inconvenient that conclusion may be in so many situations. See, one of the good things about being a set of a contest is that you're constantly being reminded that you're not being one for a worldly reason you know, for, for, for reasons of convenience or fame or money or the, the applause of the world or because you want to have it easy. So that's actually a great blessing. We are said of a contest only because faith and reason compel us to be. But Salza says, we lost faith in the church because she's suffering. Oh, doesn't that sound just so poetic and wonderful? But what's interesting is that all the approved prophecies about our times or the end times that speak of a suffering church always mention the Pope as a victim, never as the perpetrator. The Pope is suffering. He's being persecuted. He's not the one leading the persecution. The Pope is always the solution. He's never the problem. And you know what, Mr. Salza, if you want a suffering church, <laughs> become a set of a contest. You'll find no greater example of a suffering church than instead of a contest. There is the church in the tomb appearing to be dead. She's not really dead, of course, because she cannot die. But there is certainly that appearance of entombment 
that appearance of burial. It's actually an eclipse. So, unlike what John Salza would have you believe, he is not the one standing by the cross suffering with the crucified Lord while the Sedevacantists have fled. No, on the contrary, we Sedevacantists are weeping and wailing in front of the crucified Christ and then in front of the buried Christ at the tomb like on Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And we say, Lord, we know not how this can be. We know not how this will end, but we walk by faith, not by sight. We believe in thee and in thine infinite power and goodness. And although we don't have the answers, just like the disciples didn't on Good Friday and Holy Saturday, nevertheless, we persevere, knowing that thy word is truth and can never be made void. And we believe with all our hearts that no matter how hopeless it may seem to the human eye, thou and thy church will triumph. That is what the Sedevacantist is doing. Salza, on the other hand, is the one running away from the situation, from this terrifying truth. And instead, he points to another Christ, a false Christ, saying that he is the true Messiah, even though he blasphemes and hurls curses against the people, even though he tramples on the doctrine of Jesus Christ and causes able-bodied people to become cripples. That is the true analogy. As Bishop Sanborn explained very well in a conference he gave in 2004, we have the free video uh, linked for you at tradcast.org, by saying that the Vatican II antipopes were not true popes, we are merely stating what is possible. It is possible that a particular individual lose the faith or that he never had it. But it is not possible that the Catholic Church become a means of damnation, which is exactly what the Vatican II Church is, and which is exactly what all of these supposed traditionalists like Salza, Gajewski, Veneri, Ferreira, all of them, what they're ultimately saying. That's exactly what they're ultimately saying. Some of them are willing to say it outright. Others won't say so explicitly, but nevertheless hold a position that ultimately leads to that conclusion. So, as you can see, we have a lot to say about this, and uh, we will examine a lot more from John Salza and Eric Gajewski in the next few episodes of Tradcast. And don't worry, you're not going to have to wait very long because we really want to try to get this wrapped up sooner rather than later. So you're not going to have to wait another four to eight weeks or so for the next Tradcast to come out. So just uh, stay tuned, tradcast.org, novelsordowatch.org, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter as well as on Facebook, and you're not going to miss a thing. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed, and you'll be up to date on all the blog posts that we publish at novosordowatch.org slash wire. All right, but uh, for today, let it be enough. We're going to close, and uh, stay tuned. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to. Thanks for listening. And may God bless you.